2: I'm Ethan Warren. And this is The Great Henson Caper.
3: Lisa Henson majored in folklore and mythology at Harvard University, and she found herself intrigued by what she had later called the unfamous folktales—the really strange ones never sanitized for bedtime stories. In 1986, a then-26-year-old Lisa brought the notion to her father, Jim Henson a TV series adapting these stories the way they were originally told, without any of the softening they had gone through on their journey to the present. Jim was enthusiastic.
4: Most folktales are really very good, very solid, gutsy material that is really quite adult and sometimes quite violent. And we were intrigued with the idea of treating the material honestly.
1: The storyteller to me has some of the most striking stuff that Hansen was ever involved with. just haunts me some of it. Like the, the, the devils with the bag hedgehog man. There's a there's the the hedgehog creature is just lovely. I I mean the thing is it does a thing that I appreciate from something like the movie The Green Knight, where it takes these old folk tales and has no interest in making them seem less weird. For a modern audience like these are retellings of these stories that seem to revel in the weirdness that want to capture I don't know the eerie like honestly almost alien quality of these stories from long ago and uh, I think it's some sort of the most impressive filmmaking in the Henson catalog some of the stories get a little slow but It, in general, is just beautiful stuff.
3: Jim was interested in the notion of oral literature, the way the stories had originally been passed down. This yielded not just the series title, Jim Henson's The Storyteller, but the framing device, a wizened old man played by John Hurt sitting by a fire, relating the stories to the viewer, as well as his own loyal dog, puppeteered and voiced by Brian Henson. After selling the idea to NBC, Jim set about executing the same routine that had brought him success on Fraggle Rock, He initiated development, but quickly assembled a team to do the weekly labor. As a producer, he installed Duncan Kenworthy, co-creator of Fraggle Rock. For a director, he looked to music videos and selected Steve Barron, who had directed Billie Jean for Michael Jackson and Take On Me for Aha. As for a writer, he had his eye on a young playwright named Anthony Minghella. The only problem was Minghella fundamentally did not connect with the material, nor did he believe the series had any potential. Even after spending an evening with Jim listening to a real storyteller spin yarns, mingella held strong in his belief that the material made no sense.
0: Storyteller is another one of those that has the, the DNA for storyteller. You see in Dark Crystal, you see in Labyrinth. Um, it's Jim really starting to lean into the creature shop. So they had, they, had, they had started building animatronic creatures for something like, you know, movies like Dream Child and things like that. And the Jim Henson company, even to this day, uh, is sort of the gold standard in actual existing tech-driven creatures. When you find out the Jim Henson Company is doing something like Five Nights at Freddy, people lose their mind. They're like Jim Henson Company's doing it, um, they were sort of the gold standard on the end and and the storyteller is putting a lot of that uh, those creatures on display. Uh, and really play around with the camera, play around, and Jim, again, really loved the way, loved to play with the camera. You know, that came out of, Jim, as a a kid, loved watching Ernie Kovacs, and Ernie Kovacs was very clever with the way he worked his camera and and did a lot of in-camera tricks, like putting a table crooked and then tilting the camera at the same angle, uh to make it look like if you put anything on the table it would roll away so when he's doing something like the storyteller he's doing a lot of in-camera uh magic tricks and it's they're they're beautifully filmed they are beautifully written um Anthony Mignola is writing a lot of those episodes and he's just he's a fabulous writer a a poet uh of a writer so so the storyteller are these sort of beautiful stories a lot of them are really heart-wrenching and kind of sad some of them are kind of scary um, but it's but it's Jim, you know. Again, making TV matter. It's it's him having television using its powers for good again. Uh, the storyteller is great storytelling, and that was really important to Jim. But it's but it's just one of those really beautiful projects. Again, born out of a collaboration. This time with his daughter Lisa, sort of in the same way Dark Crystal came out of him working with Cheryl. Uh, coming up with the story and and some of the some of that world building the the same thing had happened with Lisa who really inspired him to think about the way these fairy tales would be told, um, you know, sitting around a fire and having the real storyteller tell you the, the, you know, the more realistic version of these stories and the ones that don't necessarily have the happy ending on them. Um, Those are those are stories if if you watch them I mean strap in because some of those don't end the way you're going to expect them to end but but always really beautifully done really convincing effects. Um, Great music, great animation, uh, great framing device with John Hurt. Uh, Again, it's really all the pistons firing. It's really beautiful TV. It's just a shame that NBC never
4: quite figured out what to do with it.
3: Jim, for his part, believed the project made all the sense in the world.
4: As I've grown older, I've been attracted to fairy tales and folk tales and the rich quality of these stories. They're important for the flow of information and energy and entertainment from the storyteller to his listeners, as the storyteller calls upon them to meet him halfway. It is our responsibility to keep telling these tales, to tell them in a way that they teach and entertain and give meaning to our lives. This is not merely an obligation, it's something we must do because we love doing it.
3: Perhaps swayed, as so many people had been by the force of Jim's personality, mingella wrote a pilot entitled Hans My Hedgehog. Told with a gothic visual flair that recalls German expressionism, Hans My Hedgehog tells the story of the title beast, who follows a typical chain of fairy tale logic from a cursed birth through a coerced marriage to a princess and finally on to a happy ending buoyed by magic and true love.
5: I vividly remember watching the first episode of the storyteller, which was the one with the hedgehog and thinking by the end of it, there's no puppets. There were no Muppets. It was just the dog. And being sort of like, Oh no, like, and they're like, I guess the art direction is the puppets. And I then I, I, I watched I remember watching I think most of the John Hurt episodes. I think by the time they were doing the the um, Michael Gambon was it um, the Greek myths and stuff I, I still haven't seen those. It was another thing where it was almost like the timepiece feeling of like I have a great appreciation for this. I love that there's a TV show that's like this. It's sort of this fairy tale theater vibe. but it also was like, Um, you know it was like Bill Murray doing the Razor's Edge when what you want to see is him doing Ghostbusters that I as a viewer didn't have the same um, appetite for I, I, I could appreciate the craft of it I could appreciate what it was that Jim Henson wanted to do in doing a show like this but there was just a part of me that was just like I just want some funny Muppet stuff and I know that in some ways makes me, like, a bad fan and that he's, you know, he's growing as an artist. He's trying different things. He's already done those. But also, I wonder if I would have felt that way if I would lived in a world where I had immediate access to The Muppet Show, because that was also at a time where, you know, you couldn't go on YouTube and watch clips of Muppets. You couldn't, you know, like, you you, you had access to whatever you could rent at the video store and whatever happened to air on TV. So by this point, the Muppet Show episodes were... A distant memory. And I'm like, I remember that show was great. Do more of that. I can't see it now, but I can see the storyteller. Um, Very well done. Very well made. Um, It felt a little good for you. Like it felt like, oh, this is like eat your vegetables kind of storytelling in a way. You know, it looks beautiful. Um, It's very elegant. It's a very elegant show. Um, It's amazing that he got it on network TV. It's hard to imagine any. TV network allowing something with that kind of Pacing um, But it is like You know it's Jim Henson as an artist Wanting to get away from his sort of comedy roots He wants to be He wants to be a storyteller In a very and um, a world builder um, And he has this World that he's built that he's sort of like Yeah I did that I did that and I blew it out. I explored it in three movies, five seasons of TV, and you can still watch Sesame Street if you want to see some good old-fashioned Muppets every now and then. Um, Yeah, it's, um, it's another thing where I felt like there was equal amounts of him not meeting my needs as a viewer and me not meeting his needs as an audience member. It's
6: some of, I think, the best stuff. That came out of this whole cloud of felt and rubber and like myth and storytelling.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so compelling to look at, but doesn't compel me to watch another episode, which I think is sort of the problem. Like, when I'm watching it, I'm like, well, this is this is fabulous, but it's not a it's not a binge show. Um, and it was an expensive show. Just a, it was just sort of like not compatible with life to an
6: extent. I, I think it, maybe this is being too generous, but it is a display of how stories are not always compatible with like being easily digestible, being bingeable, being integrated into your life, right? Like it, it does feel like a watching an episode of the Storyteller at midday feels like your day is over. Like it's sort of like it, it shuts down other things because the story has ended. It, it's so strange to look at. Like, I was reminded of Orson Welles' Othello. Like, all the, like, the strange concepts of angles and, like, camera angles determining what happens inside the frame. And these, like, everything is slanted. Everything is a is sort of an unknowable physical space. You don't know if you're in his living room or the story, and they're constantly interacting.
3: I just looked up the word "chiaroscuro" to make sure. Okay, it's very, very chiaroscuro. Is that how you yeah, pronounce that word?
6: <laughs> I think so. I think so. Sure.
3: <laughs> not when you're hearing conversation a lot, but I think applies to the, to the storyteller. Um, and the Anthony Mangella of it all is mm-hmm. is fascinating. Um, did not know about this life of his as a as a writer um, mm-hmm. before he goes on to make these wonderful movies.
6: Yeah, not I. I don't know. Is this for children? What do we mean when we say is this for children? Like I don't know. Like, who is this storyteller for?
3: They intentionally made a show out of the undigestible versions of these stories. Yeah. They were like, Well, <laughs> the whole point is this isn't how we like to consume stories like this nowadays. Let's let's ask you to.
6: Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. They
3: did they didn't force it on you. It's it's a sort of invitation to access a a tradition and a history and i don't know maybe the late 80s was not the right time to ask people to do that
6: it i mean we're we're knocking on the door of the d word of disney but like hmm. it's such yeah. an op, it's such an opposition to the early successful models of disney's fables and like the, the taking up the grim mantle it's not that at all it's not not easy but it's also not challenging either i don't know that make sense
3: well it does and and this is one that my my daughter was really wary of um mm. we we picked the one episode that she felt like she could handle and even then mm-hmm. it's it's a tough pill to swallow um it's it's not disneyfied by any means
6: no, it it's not even clear if the storyteller is a good guy. Like
3: Oh no, he's a he's a he's a little scamp. Um, he, yeah.
6: he is he is in danger because of these stories and he is dangerous because of them.
3: Hans May Hedgehog cost almost a million dollars, the equivalent of more than two and a half million dollars today, an astonishing number for a single half hour of TV. A figure made all the more troubling by the fact that Jim was paying for it himself. But that's the cost of making magic when everyone has incredibly high standards. The creature shop demanded movie quality work, while Barron worked the crew 10 hours at a time. It was quickly clear that the storyteller would be impossible to scale to a weekly format. Still, NBC was bullish on Hans May Hedgehog, and in 1987 they broadcast it by way of testing the waters for the storyteller's future. Though it would sink like a stone in the ratings, failing to crack the top 30, the show did well with critics. The Toledo, Ohio Blade declared it, quote, a half hour of dazzling technical wizardry and sentimentally solid narration. Anyone who cares about the improvement of television should root for Jim Henson, end quote. Later, writing on the second episode, the New York Times raved, quote, the storyteller explores the richness of folktales, their enchanting and their dark sides with consummate skill and imagination, end quote. Once again, Henson Associates was getting calls from talent hoping to come aboard Jim's show, but this time the interest came from young directors. Jim, though, had his eye on the chair himself and went on to direct the episodes The Soldier in Death and The Heartless Giant. We'll be right back after this quick break.
7: The Storyteller is a weird one, and it's something that it took me a long time to fully understand and appreciate. I think because... It is so not funny. And it so demands something from the viewer that the other Jim Henson stuff, for the most part, doesn't quite demand, which is total kind of focus and attention, that the storyteller stories are much quieter than the than the other Muppet stuff, and they're much less rambunctious. And I remember very well watching them when I was younger and at first, really not liking them. Not uh, f- Number one, not being sure if the storyteller was a person or a puppet, which really threw me off, which I did not like. I had the exact same issue with the Crypt Keeper when I was young, where I was like, is this a person or is a puppet? I don't understand. And it took me a long time to realize, oh, the storyteller is a person with makeup on, and the Crypt Keeper is a puppet, and not a not a, a real corpse that has been dug up and, and fed puns. Uh, the, the storyteller stories, though, have stuck with me for so long, the ones that I remember, and... I imagine other people may talk about this one also but particularly the story about the soldier who outwits the demons at cards and is able to catch death in a sack and throw him in a tree and I remember that one so vividly and it's a story I know it's an old story but it's a story I had not heard before and the way that they pulled it off not in the way that the Muppets would tell a story like that, because it wasn't nonstop kind of jokes and laughs and then a very serious moment and then, you know, rollicking fun. But instead, still that way of the the devil's in it that he's playing with. So obviously being puppets, but feeling like individual characters that are interacting with him. And the, the kind of getting across that idea of that the world is a little bit better off possibly for having death in it for having an ending for things was such a was it was such a heavy message for me as a kid and i really had to sit with it for a long time and I, a lot of the storytellers stories were like that that i watched them devotedly but at the time did not re- did felt like i didn't like them felt like they were something that was off-putting or not dangerous exactly but there's something kind of threatening about them like the storyteller was not a friendly avuncular character to me as a kid like and I it, he was like someone who I was constantly if I was in his you know house being told a story by him I would be so worried that he would eat me when the story was over or that that I would never see my family again there was, and which taps into that amazing kind of fairy tale magic of this is enjoyable but it's also kind of scary and kind of dangerous and a thing that Adults, I think, appreciate in retrospect as as having experienced as kids much more than kids like in the moment, uh, and it felt like such a departure from what I expected from a Jim Henson thing. But looking back, it's it made, like there's this. If you look at Jim Henson's productions, almost like evolutionarily, it's like there's the main stock of Muppet evolution, which is very straightforward, and then it's like at a certain point in the past something diverged. And that's where the Dark Crystal comes from, and that's where the Storyteller comes from. And there's this kind of where at the, the, the Muppets are the dinosaurs, and the Storyteller and Dark Crystal are the kind of like rodents that are scurrying around on the ground beneath them. And they share a common ancestor, you know, a couple hundred million years back, uh, when the first tetrapods, you know, come out of the ocean. But, um, but they diverge at some point, and they feel so different, yet at the same time, there are similarities between them that are undeniable and when you dig deep enough within them and that there's this um not lightness but there is this kind of joy in storytelling and joy in performance and production in the storyteller stories and there's also this kind of like deeper well of melancholy and not quite tragedy but sadness in the muppet stuff that is under the surface uh this kind of underground river of sadness that runs underneath the joy of the muppets um Perhaps because this is me theorizing. Perhaps because the Muppets, even while you're performing them, you know you're not a Muppet. It's going to end at some point. You're picking up these characters and you're putting them down. And you have to go back to your regular life. Um, with the storyteller, there's that's almost kind of like up more on the surface, and underneath is the is the funner stuff and that or the more joyful stuff about the about the Muppets. But I have this kind of like. Uh, Gestalt or Gestalt however it's pronounced feeling about the storyteller stories of just like seeing them and being kind of scared by them and kind of not really understanding how to take them but then being really glad years later that I had experienced them and understanding um, not necessarily even what they were trying to do with them but understanding a little bit more what was valuable about them to me when I was younger that kept me watching them even though when I watched them almost every time my reaction was like what is this why am I watching this what why are they making this what why is this on television and it makes me wonder what else Jim Henson and his team were capable of that they didn't that they just didn't get to or didn't get to do either because they were hemmed in by Needing to fulfill the the expectations that the Muppets create, or because you only got so much time on this on this earth, you know, to do things, and and Jim Henson's being sadly cut prematurely short, it felt like that. It makes me wonder what things, as an old as a much older man, would he have created that people would have not liked at the time, and then twenty years later they would have been like, oh, what a genius! Oh, what what an amazing thing to have done, you know. When people told themselves their past with stories, explained their present with stories, foretold the future with stories, the best place by the fire was kept for the storyteller.
3: Okay, so what did we just watch?
2: The storyteller.
3: And do you remember the name of the episode we watched? Um, no. It was called A Story Short. Do you want to tell us what happened in it?
2: Uh-huh. So, there was like this beggar who, who met up with another beggar and they made a stone soup and it was good, but the cook got mad and brought him to the king and his punishment was he had to tell a story every night for a year and if he didn't succeed he would get thrown into a pot of boiling oil.
3: All right, well did you like the episode? Yes. What did you like about it?
2: I like I like adventures and that was adventurous to me.
3: Did you like how it looked? It looked a little unusual. Yeah. Can you describe how it looked?
2: Fuzzy and like old.
3: Fuzzy and old like it was from when I was little. Uh Uh-huh. Long ago. Do you think you'd want to watch any more of The Storyteller sometime? I doubt it. Why do you doubt it?
2: Well, because there's very few episodes that in my perspective aren't scary.
3: So we read all the descriptions and this is the one that you felt would be good for you and all of the others you felt were no good for somebody your age?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, Just someone like me.
3: Yeah. Do you think that um, when this show was on TV, do you think people liked it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't want to guess whether it was popular or not?
2: Yeah, I want you to tell me.
3: <laughs> um, well, people who write about TV really liked it, but people who watch TV didn't really tend to find it as much. It was sort of not a lot of people watched it. Oh. Do you think they should have watched it? Mm-hmm. You think it was probably better than other TV at the time? Mm-hmm. mm
2: That's me saying "Mm mm-hmm, like yes.
3: I see. All right, any other thoughts on the storyteller? Watch it. Okay. The prior year, Jim had found himself in need of an assistant and considered hiring Marianne Cleary, 20 years his junior. Marianne was a previous Henson Associates employee, but those around him were aware that Jim's interest in Marianne was more than strictly professional eyebrows were raised and a lunch was even set up between marianne and jim's ex-wife jane in the interest of quelling tensions before they began the event didn't work out as planned jane would only describe the lunch as interesting and jim sensing the tensions brewing decided to hire his daughter cheryl as his assistant instead once cheryl went back to school though jim's will eroded he hired marianne and soon enough she was not just his assistant but his romantic partner Though their relationship would be a tumultuous one marked by rifts, Marianne and Jim would remain together for most of the rest of his life. Around the same time, Jim was invited to contribute some words to a book entitled Courage of Conviction. Though the book was never published, Jim's thoughts were,
4: I believe in taking a positive attitude toward the world, toward people, and toward my work. I think I'm here for a purpose. I think it's likely that we all are, but I'm only sure about myself. I try to tune in to whatever it is that I'm supposed to be, and I try to think of myself as a part of all of us, all mankind and all life. I find it's not easy to keep these lofty thoughts in mind as the day goes by, but it certainly helps me a great deal to start out this way. When I was young, my ambition was to be one of these people who made a difference in the world. My hope still is to leave the world a little bit better for my having been here. It's a wonderful life, and I love it.
3: The gambit of airing the storyteller sporadically couldn't last. The show cost too much, and for his highest critical esteem remained, audience interest was just too low. In a memo to the staff of Henson Associates, Jim tried to quell anxieties.
4: NBC is worried about the appeal of the show. I'm not worried about this.
3: His perspective was the same as it always was when a project didn't work out.
4: We'll do something else instead.
3: On the next episode of The Great Henson Caper, lead-free podcasting.